how do I take a step back so I can go 10 steps forward? Okay. Let's start with the monkey in your head. A lot of M&As, mergers and acquisitions, fail because of imagine you're 18, you're young, and your dream to be something is shattered overnight, one day from another. So what can help us as humans to show up? The first week you show up because you're excited. The second week you show up a bit less. The third week you show up once. And by the fourth week you stop. Change is the only constant in me. Okay. You know? So there's always something changing, but the fact there's always something changing, it's constant. When I read your book, there was something that, that stayed with me for a long time, like until today. Um, and it's about how you talk about loneliness. This is, you can speak for four hours on this. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on Single Handedly. I'm Thomas. And I'm Nick. And if you're new here, please like, subscribe, and follow us. Today we've got, we're joined by a very remarkable guest, Nick. What remarkable do you think? Remarkable and adventurous. I think adventurous is a yes, good word. Yes, very persistent, very determined. Um, um, so he has quite an extensive background, both business and personal life. and, and Broad portfolio, targeting <laughs> all corners of life. <laughs> so today we're joined by Jonathan Shaw, CEO of Retail Marketing. Which is the company behind Wellbees. Um, the of course popular supermarket in Malta. Jonathan um, has a very very extensive background because he started out, I think, in university. Started out right. So John, you started out in events. Yeah, is that correct? John was amongst the very first people in Malta to start doing these large scale events. I think you can say. Um, you have a background in tourism, aviation, I believe, um, retail, gaming, theater, theater. Yeah. Wow. Did you leave anything out? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> He's an athlete as well. He's an athlete. What else? Is there something else? I don't know, quite a bit. But when you, when you go through life like an adventure, like a challenge, you, know, you, you move from one thing to another. So now hearing you describe, you remind yourself, wow, I did a lot. It's true. But I think different people, some people are cut to specialize. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good. But others need to flow from one thing to another. And it's part of the life. So you don't think you specialize? Because I feel like you do specialize. I feel like, I mean, I've, I've worked with Jonathan in the past. Jonathan was my boss <laughs> at a certain point um, when we were working in gaming. Yeah. And Jonathan came on board um, in this company that I was working for as the COO, I think, right? COO. COO. Yeah. Um, he was the go-to person that led the transformation and the change in that company. And I think that's your specialization. Yeah, probably that. So I think change is the only constant in me. Okay. You know, so there's always something changing, but the fact there's always something changing, it's constant. All right. And with taking all these different ventures in life, is it, because um, I think this is a very common trait in people, very high, highly successful people that they double down and go 100% on a certain thing for a short period of time where they reach the, the top percent in it and then they're capable of maintaining it. Is that something you, you'd see yourself doing? or? Yes, but in hindsight, sometimes I tend to move a bit too fast as well. Okay. Because then I get a bit bored. All right. 
So now being older, looking back, sometimes I say, you know, I made it harder for myself because you do the hard work in the beginning, the transformation, the change, the knowledge, the understanding. And when you gain that knowledge that things become repetitive, which is a bit easier, then you move on. So sometimes I made it harder for myself because I moved on a bit too soon. And not appreciating the moment and what I appreciate the moment because okay. I'm, I'm the kind of guy to appreciate everything challenges, difficulties, it's an opportunity to perform. So when there's a problem, I don't see it as a problem. I see it as an opportunity to find a solution. Something interesting as well that we didn't add to the intro. You were also the author of your own book, right? Yeah. And um, you were also certified in cognitive performance coaching. Is that correct? Uh, cognitive behavioral coaching. So what does that mean? So cognitive means the way you think. Behavior is the way you act. So in cognitive behavior, so I, I specialized in cognitive behavior when I had a sabbatical. I had a break, I moved from one business to another, had a break, I planned to have a break for a year. It, it lasted a bit longer. Um, and I was always fascinated with psychology. So I studied business, finance, but psychology, the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave was always a fascination of mine. So when I saw, I came across a, an outline of a course, I said, that's what I need for myself as an individual. So I saw myself as the client. So instead of finding help in that field, I actually followed an eight-month course. And I was my first kind of client to myself. So cognitive is the way you think, behavior the way you act. So in cognitive behavior, we learn something fundamental, which is, what matters most is not the situation they have, that we have or we're in, but how we think about it. And that changed my life. I wish I learned this many years ago. Because sometimes we think, we think we think a lot. People who stay up at night with thoughts in their head and they can't sleep. That's not thinking, that's garbage. In your head, that's noise. So when you're thinking, you're actually focused. You're focusing on something, creating a predefined output. That's external noise influenced by a lot of things, which means nothing. And that's unhelpful thinking. So when you learn how to manage the noise up here, then life changes. Because then you don't think again. Because if you have clarity, you don't need to think. And... When when you were so you started when you were twenties in your yeah my twenty you started in your twenties let's let's go back and see okay. a bit of your your journey throughout how did you start off like were you did you just want to start something on your own or were you working with someone else how no I mean my when I was sixteen I wanted to be a pilot so from sixteen to eighteen. I just studied what I had to do, the subjects I had to do for a pilot, nothing else. Then I remember I was practically nearly chosen to be um, sponsored by a commercial airline, like eight of us. And when I thought it's done, last minute there was some test, another test, which is no longer done. It's not clinically proven or anything. And I did not make that test, so I had to back out. So suddenly imagine you're 18. You're young. And your dream to be something is shattered overnight, one day from another. And then I started working. 
Um, I went into management, a production company doing um, soft drinks. And that's when I said, you know what, actually, interacting with people, managing people, um, that kind of was interesting. So I said, let me get a degree in management. But you learn on the job. So that's when I started a promotions company, doing events, negotiating sponsors. This is way back, this is many years ago. So we didn't have flyers, we didn't have emails, we didn't have WhatsApp. So you're actually everything is word of mouth, guerrilla, hardcore marketing, you know? And that's when you learn. You learn on the job. So even anyone studying, get a job, do something on the side, because what you learn by doing, interacting with people, interacting with other people, difficult clients, that's when you learn. And you get the confidence. So that was your first year in events? Completely. And how long did you, did, that for, did you do that for? I think three years. Uh, only three years? Okay. Yeah, quite intense. Because you're studying, I was playing water polo, training, late nights. And did you, you know? start sports as well during that? Yes, I, yeah, I, was, I used to play water polo, okay. which was great. And then that led into what was your next journey? Next journey, I think then I went into marketing, consultancy because I had like uh, the youth sector, the youth marketing concept. And I forgot one thing led to another. And then, um, ah, then I went away. I went to Sydney, went to New York for four years, got out of my comfort zone. You have to push yourself out. If it's too comfortable, then you're gonna die. You're not gonna grow. And you went there for work opportunities. Did you go there for education reasons? Like to get I went to Sydney for a holiday first three months, but with the intention to stay longer. So then I stayed longer, got to a company, then that company asked me to go to New York. One thing led, led to another, and I spent four years overseas. And how did that shape the way you think compared to a smaller island, which is- Yeah, good one question. Of the, one of the, rules, uh, one of the yeah. rules in the book. Exactly, uh, that the big fish, small pond syndrome. Exactly. You realize you're a number. So imagine you're living in a country where you know a lot of people, People know you. If you need something, you get the phone, your network, whatever. And you move and you start afresh. You have to start from day zero again. You don't know people. And the job I was doing was remote for this Australian company. So I didn't have colleagues. I didn't have an office. So the first weeks, I didn't have friends. My conversations were either with clients or someone at the bar, behind the bar, or a waiter. But you start, you build your network and you start. And, and then you realize that actually through that struggle of being alone, there's growth. I always tell people, if you want to go to the to grow your muscles, I mean, you need to struggle, no? You go to the gym. Exactly. So if you mentally need to grow, you need to go through struggle as well, even mentally. So struggle is growth. In your book, so I, you gifted me this book, when we were both still working in this gaming yep. company. Um, and it's actually the very first book that I read so quickly just because it's so easy to go through it. It's like a small handbook with what, 140 page, 150 pages. And it's the type of book that you can read over and over. And it has these, I think for, you have 40 tips, 40 tips, right? Less, yeah. because 40 would have been obvious. I read right, it, so it's called hashtag 40 because I was just turned 40. 
Um, in fact, people tell me, so if it's hashtag 40, why don't you have 40 tips? I think there's 10 less, 30. Uh, 10 less, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so, and, we can, so we can make money off book tuning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I read your book, there was something that, that stayed with me for a long time, like until today. Um, and it's about how you talk about loneliness. Yeah. And you say, I have often been in such situations myself, yet rather than looking at it from a loneliness perspective, I would rather look at it as solitude. The two are often linked, but do not mean the same thing. I think that was a very powerful, um, very powerful two sentences that throughout the past years actually did help me in situations where I was, because you mentioned that you didn't, you, you, you're only, the only people that you spoke to were clients or yeah. waiters or whatever. And that actually helped me because I was in situations where I was thinking, oh, am I so lonely right now? And then actually understand I'm actually at solitude right now. It's not loneliness, it's, it's exactly. solitude. So you're transforming or changing. Um, but it was, I think, the best part of the book when you spoke about that loneliness. I mean, as you can see, there are many other parts oh, that I know. found <laughs> quite, quite interesting. Good. But it's a very, very good book. People can still buy it, I think, right? They still find it in the stores because it's been a while. It's been a while. I know there was a good print run, but I don't, I don't think they made another one. Really? Yeah. So I, I can sell it like they can put on eBay for bidding wars, maybe. Yeah, you can do a digital copy. Digital copy. And <laughs> uh, no, but I think there's a lot of very, Thank very you. good points in there. Um, and so the, the, the book, I think, is, is formed by, of course, all of your different experiences, but you really, really put well your thoughts into it and the way you think and how you're like a catalyst for change and transformation. It's very written, it's very well written in that sense of it makes you think like, all right, so he's talking about loneliness, but it's actually solitude and you, yeah. it gives you a lot of points to actually reflect about. So apart from, apart from doing, doing this book and doing your um, certification, what were some other times that helped you change and transform and grow apart from first going to Sydney? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I always had my own practice, my own business, set up an online company many years ago as well, when it was a bit too soon. Sometimes you have these amazing ideas and even listeners to this podcast might be doing something, doing a new venture, new business, new ideas. But the timing matters because sometimes you have a brilliant idea Everything is laid out perfectly for success, but sometimes the timing, you might be a bit too early and people don't see it. So you're, you're wasting energy for people, trying to get people to understand your concept, trying to understand your business, because the market is not there, they don't know. So I remember I had an online um, travel portal, 2004. I had to go to hotels and tell them, come online, come on board will sell directly to customers. And hotels are telling you, no, no, we work with agents. We don't sell direct. We don't need to sell direct. Nowadays, it, you know, we laugh about it. That's so like today, this, there was, there's Airbnb, Booking.com, and you were completely before this. No, we were, we were with Expedia. At the same time, Expedia and Booking.com when and actually started. In fact, I used to go to Booking.com's office in Amsterdam as well. We did a deal with them where it was so early. And they were small. You know, so when you have an idea and it's a bit too soon, sometimes that's when why you fail as well. But what you learn, and I'm saying this is because you learn a lot from when you fail. And in, in 
the society we live, sometimes we don't champion failure enough. Failure we're scared to fail. We're scared to fail and we're scared to talk about it. I did mistakes, a lot of things didn't work, you know, but it's part of my journey. And when you look back, you remember the mistakes more than the successes because they leave an impact on you, but you grow. What are some failures that you went through that you're not ashamed to say, listen, I failed, but I learned from this? They shaped the way you think. Yeah. One was recent, actually. After I moved out of a retail business and I took time off and I did this cognitive behavior certification, there was a project, very amazing, amazing, interesting project. And I went in it alone. I thought I could do it alone. But in hindsight, it was too big for me. And it failed. Then I had to back out. So you go in with a lot of an energy, enthusiasm, but that can derail you because if you're enthusiastic about it, you're emotionally connected, then you stop seeing properly, you know? So what should it, should it be attached yourself next time? Like what, what's the way to go about it? I think I should have known in the beginning, I should have programmed it better. I should have prepared my analysis better. And it's not because you feel you're passionate, passionate about something, it's not enough. A lot of things need to work, you know? You need to be passionate, you need to have the energy, but it's not enough. It needs to make, it has to be realistic, it has to make financial sense, you know? It, what's the business model? What's my exit clause? Um, do I need others, you know? You can't say, ah, then I'll sort this later because you want it, you want it to take off the ground, you want to do it, but it's not enough, one thing, you know? It has to happen. So you learn. You learn, but then through cognitive behavior, I could manage my unhelpful thinking or something like this can set you back, you know? So when you, when you fail, you need to stand up and walk again. This is, oh, failure has one of my favorite quotes and one of the things that I live by because I'd rather um, meet someone who has and work with someone who has 300 losses and a thousand wins and someone who has 300 wins only and no losses. Yeah. Um, I think that learn, they would have learned more from the mistakes they would have made in those 300 losses than from the thousand wins, even though they have more wins. But I mean, I'd rather have them losing more because those mistakes are already done. And that's also within a group, group work dynamic because even partnering with people, I, I like the idea that you learn from each other's mistakes. We mentioned this already, I think, in, in the first episode, where having a, a group of three, you can make three mistakes. A group of five, you have five mistakes. So the mistakes you make in five days, you can make in a day, and you learn from each other. Now, that's definitely something, putting minds together in that sense. Yeah, completely. And, and you mentioned going into this failure of yours alone, but oftentimes, not often, but more often than not, I feel that going into things with someone else might be n might not be the best way forward because it's hard to find. Like with Thomas, we're always in sync. We're really always on the same page, and of course, there's times we have we have disagreements, but we are on that same level. That if there are disagreements, we see which way forward would be the best way forward. But um, I don't know what your opinion is on this. But when you're working with people who are maybe partners, 
How do you see that play out? The dynamic of it, maybe the cognitive background of it. Oh man, this is you can speak for four hours on this because when it works, it works. Partnership, you're aligned, the dynamics, everything works. But the problem is when things are not going too well, you know, and that's when the real side of partners come out. Because not from a bad way as an individual, but we handle stress, we handle failure differently. And then there's the issue of money. People handle money differently. The issue of what drives a person. You know, you might be driven by something. You might be driven by something else. So the alignment of what drives you as an individual. So partnerships are interesting. They're great. I think one can achieve more. But my take on this is, if there's a partnership and it's working, for example, imagine you two, you're doing something great now. Down the line, you want to grow the business, and you get a third partner in. It's going to change the dynamics completely. So that might rock the partnership completely. Might take it to higher levels, but it can also ruin it because suddenly you're including another factor. Which changed the whole dynamics between you, you know. So my advice there is、um, get to know your partner really well, you know, before forming. Do like trial experiments. Start, you know. Don't get kind of married straight away. I mean, you can dissolve, but it's harder to liquidate a company than open one, you know. That's right.、Um, and clean up the mess. So. Partnerships are great, but then there are individuals. Some people like doing their own thing and then get help and specialized skills where they need plug and play on demand. You know, so yeah, this is very interesting in business. But then depends on the project and what and how. You know what to do. So、um, something that we're mentioning now, we mentioned before as well, is of course your ability to transform change and positive change. Uh, right now, you're currently a CEO at Barbies.、Yeah. Um, you didn't start out as a CEO with this company, no. though.、So、no, I didn't. It, interesting story there. So, at the age of fifty, I'm fifty. Um, um, it's the first time I'm employed. I was never employed before, and that was a bit of a mind, yeah, yeah, a mental kind of challenge for me initially. But I started first.、Um, this company, were a number of companies, great people, great business people who worked hard, grew the small grocery store into a large、um, retail supermarket, more than one shop, etc. They've been working together. I had a fling many years ago. They needed to do. I need. They needed me to do some work for them, which I did. And one of the directors or two of the directors asked me, "Hey, listen, we're we're going to do a merger." You want to come on board on the board as chair to chair us before we do the merger and things like that. So I entered. I joined the board, the board of directors. We did the merger. We did the rebrand. Can you explain the merger and? Yeah, the was it? I was going to ask this before. <laughs> okay, so merger is you have four different companies, and they join, they merge into one company. Very easy. Okay, an acquisition is when one company buys another company. A merger is the four companies become shareholders in a new company. What's the role when you're chair on a on a board? On a board, the role is to we have an agenda to chair the meeting, see that what needs to be discussed is discussed, what's decided 
is decided and you facilitate the conversation. And how do you dissociate from the previous brands that the other four were? Then, is, is that a yeah, that's, task within that's, itself? Of course. That's, in fact, a lot of M&As, mergers and acquisitions, fail because of change, resistance to change. So the culture, different cultures, people. So it was quite, it's a very interesting subject, topic. And you learn a lot. You learn different people, what they need, what they don't like, what they like, and how it affects the board. So a boardroom has a lot of politics in it. You know, It's not about um, voting. Like one thing I learned that we see voting. Imagine you're a group of seven owners and you take a vote to decide on something. So the majority wins, okay? But voting is divisive because... Even if someone votes, you're giving a democratic rule, let's take a vote and decide. It still leaves a bad taste, you know? So ideally, you don't go for a vote. Ideally, you reach a decision by discussion through consensus, you know? And you move like that. So um, people who work in companies at high level like that, these, these happen all the time, you know? And then there are battles that you say, ah, oh, this is not worth pursuing. This is not worth discussing. This is not worth winning an argument, you know? Because by winning an argument, sometimes you lose more in the long run. You mentioned in your book, yes. I remember it, you said, sometimes it's better to lose um, in the short term. In the short term, in the yeah, term. exactly. In the term. Because the problem is ego. A lot of people get ego, you know, driven by ego. And, and something you learn as you grow older is, I think the, the more you know, the more you learn, you realize how much you don't know anything. And it's like traveling. You meet someone who traveled to 10 countries, 12 different countries, 15 different countries. And he thinks, or she thinks, they traveled a lot. Or 20 countries. But the contrary, then you meet people who traveled 100 countries, different countries, and they know how much they haven't traveled and how much more there are countries to explore and discover. Got it? So it's, it's a process we learn. And um, over the years, through mistakes, through growth, through meeting people, through listening to podcasts, learning something, through reading books. And as you go along, you learn something. In fact, remind me, there's a story, a small story I'd like to tell you about a book I read. And the story is amazing. I learned it about two weeks ago. So I'll share it with you. You can go ahead. I go ahead? Sure. Straight in. So this short book called U Squared, U Squared, by Price Pritchett. It's a small handbook. It's been written quite a number of years ago. And it starts with the story of a fly. We've seen it in summer. This fly trying to get out of a glass of a room. And this fly keeps on hitting the glass. You've seen it. Now everyone's seen this fly hitting the glass, hitting the glass, hitting the glass, trying to get out. And just one meter away, there's a door. The room, there's a door open or another window. But the fly keeps on trying to go to break the glass. And the harder it tries, it's not managing. And the moral of the story is sometimes trying hard or harder is not the answer. Actually, trying harder becomes part of the struggle, the trap. So when you're struggling with something, trying to move, I believe in working hard and trying hard. It's part of life. 
But trying hard is not always a solution. You need to take a step back and rethink the way you're approaching. You need to come up with a totally different approach. Because trying harder is not a solution. And then the fly dies. Whereas all it had to do, the fly, is fly around the room, feel the air from this open window or door, and fly out. And sometimes we see it. It tries to break the glass, doesn't manage, and then suddenly it goes back, circles the room, and wow, off it finds the door and flies out. So trying harder. So stop trying harder. You need to work smarter, think differently, come up with a totally different approach. And I read this story and say, wow, that's smart. I think that really resonates. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people think that if they work harder, if they try harder, they'll eventually get there when, when it isn't always the case. We've been, we've been brought up like this, which is nothing wrong. Work hard, you get results. But sometimes it's it's not enough. And I think the, the the hardest challenge in that would be changing your view from a first person view to a third person view. How do you create that mindset shift so I can so so someone can see the bigger picture? Because if you're seeing just the window, you're seeing outside and you're seeing uh-huh. the light, and you're just seeing a tin border, which is just a small pane of glass. How do I take a step back so I can go 10 steps forward. Okay, good one. Let's start with the monkey in your head. Oh, this yeah. is a favorite topic of me. So you remember the noise I told you that happens in your head? That's not thinking, okay? That's influenced by external factors, your upbringing, social media, things you read, things you see, people's other comments, insecurities, whatever. So. That voice in your head, I call it inner voice, scientifically, medically, it's called the inner voice. That starts um, maybe when you're eight or 10. When you're younger, you don't have that inner voice. So you're fearless. Nothing's holding you back. But once the inner voice kicks in, you think twice about things, you're insecure, self-doubt. But that inner voice, Thomas, and you know, because you did sports as well, sometimes can push us, no? Can give us that extra push and energy. So the inner voice is not always wrong. It can be good. The problem is if the inner voice over the years becomes a bit of a, a pattern of unhelpful thinking, which sets us back. So the way to do it is don't believe your inner voice. Full stop. That's not thinking. Don't believe it. Before you accept what goes up in here, you need to challenge it. Okay? So the way to make it easy for people to to relate, not to believe it, imagine you have a monkey in your head. Each one of you. You have a monkey, Nick, Thomas, you have another monkey. And this monkey you were born with and you're going to die with. So you can't change monkey. You can't trade monkey. It's your monkey. It's in your head. This monkey is the one feeding you this noise, okay? Now, why is it a monkey? Because a monkey could be aggressive, could be playful, could be smart, could be intelligent, could be strong, could be lazy, could be weak. It's a monkey. So, if a monkey tells you, Thomas, to do something, would you do it? And if it's in my head? Uh, say you meet uh, a monkey. Of course not. No. no, exactly. 
So now that monkey's in your head. So when you, you, there's something happening in here, it's not you. It's your monkey telling you something. So before you do it or believe it, you have to question it. Okay? All right. Easy. Give a name to your monkey so you can relate in the third person. And your monkey's a friend. It's not enemy. But you can't believe what the monkey tells you. All right? So whatever goes in your head, say, okay, the monkey's telling me this. Before you believe it, you need to ask the monkey three questions. What's the proof? What is the proof that you're telling me is really exists, is really true? You know? Is thinking like this logical? Is thinking like this helping me? And automatically, the monkey will stay quiet or will shut up because you questioned it, you know? So if you're doing this podcast and you say, mm, you get a thought, you know, our guest is not enjoying this, you know, the monkey tells you something. You know, John is really bored in this podcast, for example, which I'm not. But imagine you get this thought. Why? Because you might see me looking at my phone, you know, or being distracted. Or someone is giving a speech and sees people distracted and they think that something is really wrong. The fireworks. The fireworks. Uh, fireworks. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. All right, you might think now the monkey tell you, ah, people are thinking with the fireworks, with the noise, product is wrong and you're panicking. No, there's no proof. The only proof we have, you don't have proof that people are going to think this, you know, and the podcast will not be great. The only proof we have, we have fireworks in the background. Fine. Let's get along, you see? But if you believe it, you're going to panic, you won't be yourself, you won't be relaxed, it will throw us off. Got it? So never believe what the monkey tells you. Challenge it. Three questions. Cool. I, like I, I think it was perfect timing for you as well because you, you would probably start panicking the yes <laughs> exactly it happens we're live in a way no, no? no, no yeah, but imagine if you, now you're starting to worry about something that didn't happen now the way we think affects the way we act feel and behave got it exactly so now you're relaxed and this is the 80% rule that was another rule in the book um, uh, that 80% of our thoughts aren't Really, 80% of our fears will never happen. Exactly. Yeah. That was But I use the 80-20 even at work all the time okay. with my team. I have an amazing team, amazing people. And sometimes I tell them, look, 80% in work, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients, you know? 80% of your problems come from 20% of your people as well. So it's the 80-20 rule. We can apply it for everything. So sometimes focus on what really matters. You know, focus on what really matters. John, as a leader, especially now as a CEO of WellBeats, when you first got assigned that role of being the leader now, being the CEO of WellBeats, what was the first thing you did to transform and provide change, positive change? Or what's yeah. something that you do always when you get a new role yeah. as a leader? I think initially... Try not to change anything. Don't rush in. Don't rush in. Take it easy. Understand. Get people's feedback. Build trust. Because if you try to change sometimes a bit too soon, it can backfire. Um, leaders and humans, in a way, sometimes want to fix things. We're here to fix. So you come to me with an issue. And I try to give you the solution straight away. 
whereas I should take a step back and first ask you, what do you think? What should you do? Got it? Okay, so, so you see where they, where they stand at the bottom. Exactly. Po- uh, okay. Try, don't fix anything in the beginning. It's hard. It's very hard because you're, you want to prove yourself. You want to leave a good impact. You're charged to go. You're charged to deliver. You know, it's hard. So I'm not saying I always manage. So I, I could be like, also I could make that mistake. But um, understanding people, understanding where you want to go, building trust, talking, thinking, because people out there, it's a jungle, you know, you can get misdirected, influenced, you know, so very easily. So initially, go slow. So the first thing you do is just assess. Assess, and- talk, build relationships, understand. Because it's the frontliners who are experts in certain industries. Sometimes when you're leading a team, you're not a real expert expert in the specifics, you know? So you have the high, high picture, you have the high overview. You're connecting the dots. You want to inspire people, support them, make them deliver, make them be happy to come into work, make them happy. Yes, you have to be tough and push. But then in certain leadership, I'm accountable to the board. I'm accountable to the owners as well, you know? And yes, some things, some days um, are tough because things don't work the way we want to work. And other days you feel you're on top of the world. Everything is working, you know? Other days you feel you're digging holes in the sand. And I saw that a CEO has two or three important decisions, which are decisions no one wants to make but they have to make them for the rest of the team, which will unfold. Is that true to a certain extent where you're a problem solver to a bigger scale within the business? You are a problem solver, but um, ideally you train your people and you help them grow. That They don't come to you with problems. They come with solutions, you know? Okay. Because imagine everyone coming to you with a problem. At the end of the day, you're like, you know, inundated, you know? Why are you laughing? So, because that's something uh, I tell my employees when they, they come to me with a problem. Uh, I always tell them, don't come to me with problems, come to me sol- with solutions, and they start laughing as well. So, I can completely to that. And that's actually something that you wrote in your book as well, because yeah. you also mentioned a different kind of monkey that everyone has on their shoulders. Exactly. Uh, where, I mean, if you want to explain it yourself. Oh, it's basically very easy. Um, when someone comes to you with a challenge, with a problem, say in an office, someone uh, received a nasty email and they want to reply to it. And this employee or team member or colleague comes to you and says, hey, I got this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to reply. Some leaders will tell you, you know what, send it to me and I'll, I'll do it for you. But by the end of the week, you have about 20, 30, 50 of these. The problem is your team is not growing. You know, they're not learning. And then your junior is knocking on your door, say, hey, did you finish that for me? So suddenly you're working for them as well. They're not working for you. But at the end of the week, you're, you, don't, you have 20 monkeys, a different monkey now, of other people on your back, plus your own. So the way to do it is say, okay, write it, write the reply. Reply to that client, reply to that supplier, tackle the problem. And if you want, before you send it, we'll discuss it, we'll check it, you know? So, so like that, you're telling them, give me a solution before. You know, because it's easy to say, come, don't come with problems. Problems exist. 
but problems are an opportunity to shine. And once you overcome a problem, it's fine, but you're going to have a different problem the next day, you know? By, by working with you a few years ago, um, I actually realized the importance in people because you, you, you always put people first. Um, you always made sure that people had an understanding of the different dynamics and that they had to build relationships with each other and they had to communicate effectively. Um, it, and actually, when you had came on board, you had did quite the transformation, I remember, in terms of how people think. And it was a very, I think it was a very important part of the company's journey to grow because the company had reached a point where it couldn't grow anymore just because of all the constraints and how the team was working at that time. But then as soon as you came on board, somehow you were able to tap into these people's minds, even to my mind at, at that time, and explore full potential of everyone. And that's something that you learn from your cognitive coaching. That's something that you learn just by building relationships. Like how, how can people learn how to communicate effectively and get the best potential yeah. out of people? I, I think we have two types of leaders out there. We have leaders um, who are very intelligent and knowledgeable on the sector. So you can have a leader in technology, in a technology company, who's highly technological, knows his stuff, he's an expert. And then there are people and leaders who are emotionally intelligent. Mm. And EI, emotional intelligence, is so important that you can understand, you can talk, you can communicate, you can motivate, you can inspire, you can be sensitive to an individual as a human being. And I think people need this because then together we can achieve more. But the fact that I will try and understand you as an individual first so you can understand me i don't want people to deliver because we i tell them to i want people to deliver because they know it comes from them and they want to you know because it's easy even the younger generation now you can't tell people what to do anymore we shouldn't tell people what to do we can guide them and give them parameters but I want people to do it because they feel, ah, this is the right thing to do, you know? Not because they've been told. And the evolution of leadership, and this is why leaders today, some females are better leaders than male out there. And if you see top leaders in the world, we're seeing a lot of females in there because this alpha male ego is long gone, trying to prove something through fear and instruction. That's rubbish. So you opinion know? on that on leaders that try to invoke fear on their team. It's it's to... short lived. Because people there's more to life than work. If someone is working eight hours, nine hours, ten hours a day in fear, what life is that? You know? We sleep eight hours, we work eight hours, what's left? You know? Time to do shopping, this, more this, shower, this, eat, buy, whatever. So work is an important factor. And I think it's highly irresponsible for people to work through fear. I'm not saying there could be an element of respect which has a bit of fear, which is good because it pushes us, you know? Exactly. So we need a small 
amount of fear because it makes people perform. But not fear because you're afraid of me. Fear because you're, you don't want to let me down. Got it? You don't want to let yourself down. That kind of fear, which is a blend of fear and respect. Fear of disappointment more than fear exactly. of losing my job. Exactly. So because people don't perform well under fear. So I'll ask this before we go to break, but how do you keep people, so whether it's now at where you work at, at your company or, or maybe other people can apply it to their own role, how do you keep people happy and making sure that they reach the goals that are set out for them in that role that they have? Yeah. I can't make people happy and I shouldn't make people happy. People have to be happy with themselves. But I need to create, ideally, that, that environment which helps them, you know, have that kind of comfort to work. But at the end of the day, it's life. There are days, even I, there are days when I struggle. It's normal. So understanding that it's normal to have different energy levels, different moods, it's normal. As long as we move on, but, you know. So it's fine if you're having a bad day. But then you can't have a bad month with people around you. You know what I mean? So then we need to snap out of it. We need to cope with it. And then I'll reach out and say, hey, something's wrong. How can I help you? Yes, you're not performing here. But beyond that, what can we do to move forward? You know? And I'll try to help. I'll try once, twice, three times. But then if you don't want to help yourself, then, hey, we need to do something about it. You know? So uh-huh. you see it as a holistic view and rather uh, other than not just performing on the job. Exactly. You try because usually there's something that's the root of the cause, you know? Okay. But then adults should be responsible for their actions as well. So there's a limit what you can do. And maybe sometimes I manage to do it. Then there are days when even I screw up because I'm human, you know? But, um, but as long as the intent is there, you know, that genuinely you want to help people move forward, then it's fine. All right, so let's jump into a quick few second break and we'll be back in 10 seconds. seconds. (laughs) Wellbee's loyalty scheme. Spend 50 euro and receive 3 euro cash back or 400 bonus points. Spend 100 euro and choose between 7 euro cash back, 1,000 bonus points, 3 packets of water or 5 bottles of soft drinks. Double points when purchasing Carrefour products. Download our loyalty app and redeem your points for vouchers and cash back. Find more price drops at Wellbeast Supermarket. So, another corner of your life. I think it's a circle. There are so many corners. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's because I'm old, huh? But <laughs> you said it, not me. So yeah, it's a, it's a portfolio built up. True. Um, so sport helps you in, I think, in more than one aspect, and not just uh, uh, from a physical side, but also it mentally gives you a break from the day-to-day routine, as I'm sure it gives me. And even if you do. A couple of sports, exactly. Going to the gym for a few few hours a day. I mean, a few minutes a day, whatever it is. Or going for a walk, even at the basis of a simple um, uh, exercise. If it's walking a dog, how important is staying active um, uh, when it comes to performance at work as well? Um, I mean, 
this is massive. I mean, starting exposing kids to sports is is imperative. I think so. Um, young people they do sports. Kids they get used to teamwork, commitment, discipline. It changes their life. I think. I was exposed to sports, but my parents never really pushed me. But I used to play sports when I was young. Um, now I see a lot of people with the kids uh, pushing the kids even more sports, which is great. Okay, so I think we've evolved there, not just locally. You see it wherever it happens. Probably it's the generation of parents today value sports more than the generation, the previous generation. So that's critical. Why? Because, as you said. Mentally, the benefits of sports are, are immense. You know, we need to switch off. We need to switch off. And today, with technology, data, tablets, iPhone, smartphones, whatever, I think in sports is the avenue where people manage to switch off completely. You know, and and just go with the flow. Now, mentally, the positive side is that you're not only detached, but you're also um, There's a chemical. I'm not a doctor, but when you do sports, your body is releasing certain chemicals and hormones, which really push us. The problem is then finding the right balance. So what happens when you're young? You have time for sports. Then suddenly you're busy with work, and this is what happened to me. And I stopped doing sports between thirty and forty. But then I started again. And thanks to a friend of mine who told me, hey, "Come on, John, join us," you know. And I joined a small group, and we started doing swim runs. So we do trail running, we swim, and it's a bit of an adventure. So the fact you wake up instead of going to the office, or you wake up late, you wake up early, and you go and train every morning, six in the morning. You know, winter, summer, whatever you're at it. And people ask me, but. We don't do anything out of this world. I mean, we did a long race last year, very long race, a, a swim run in Sweden, beautiful. And you train for it, and you're pushing your boundaries. So it's not about going fast; it's about not slowing down. Got it? Especially when you grow older. But how do you do it? It's hard to start initially, especially if you're not doing sports, but you're listening to this, whatever the age. But just start. Don't. Think. Don't complicate life. Just start. Just keep on showing up. And this is the trick. The first week you'll show up because you're excited. The second week you'll show a bit less. The third week you show up once, and by the fourth week you stop. So what can help us as humans to show up? A community. Find another three, four, five, six, seven, or join a group, and commit that you're going to show up the next day. So I was telling you. Last night I had a big dinner. I had a bit too much. This morning I had to go swimming in the sea. And if I hadn't committed to my friends that I'm showing up, I would have skipped it. You see, so the community helps you show up. The tribe, find your tribe. And if you don't know friends who want to go on this journey together, join something. Join a group. Join. An OCR join obstacle. There's so much happening, you know. So just get on. Day one, day two, keep on showing up. Focus on that one day at a time. I've always wanted to, or I always thought of finding ways to be able to start waking up early in the morning and finding the motive, the motivation to 
either run or jog or whatever. But I was never able to. But I never thought about it from this perspective of joining a community to be able to yeah. to help in that aspect. It's harder to do it alone. Exactly, exactly. Definitely. So exactly like you said, like the first week you show up because you're excited, second week a bit less, third week, and by the fourth week, you start finding excuses for yourself because you don't, you're not committed to it. Yeah, because the body and the mind is going to throw excuses because you're pushing your body and mind through its comfort zone. And we're wired to take a shortcut and make it easy. In a way, that's how we get our efficiency as humans, you know? When you start driving the first time, you're aware of shifting the gear, the pedals, you know? Over time, everything happens in autopilot. So the body is wired to do things in autopilot, the easy way. So when you start to do things where you have to struggle a bit, the body and the monkey say, hey, Nick, Tom, stop this. I don't want this, you know? So you're going to try everything to hold you back. But if you create accountability on yourself, so create accountability. How? There are different ways, you know? Commit. Get other people. But you'll make it fun. So the nice thing of training at, at our age, at my age, is it's not about races. It's about a lifestyle. It's about going to train, then sitting, having a coffee, you know, things like that. And you create a group. I think that the importance of finding people who are like-minded in what you do, if it's sports, I think it's, it's very important to have people around you that are trying to achieve the same thing as you are or are heading in the same direction. Exactly. But all you need is one. You don't need 20. Start with one. And then two becomes three, three becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16. Before you know it, you're a group of 30 people on one WhatsApp group. With you're meeting every day to go through. You're meeting every day. Not everyone turns up, you know, because people have commitments. But there's always a group, you know. There's always 10, 12. And if someone is injured and they can't run, maybe they swim. If someone can't swim, they go mountain biking. Someone might do yoga, someone might do weights, you see? And you create your own tribe. And it's easy. So you, you had a, an injury recently. Yeah. Uh, how did that impact you? I mean, you had to stop. Uh, it was tough. So what it was, it was my 50th in March. And I organized a, a trip, a holiday with, with my friends, my training friends. These famous 28 people who have a group called Keep It Real. And amazing guys, different walks of life, different jobs, but honestly, fantastic. And over the years, this group organically built, kind of built up. So I organized a trip for my 50th and I posted on the group, hey, I'm thinking of going for a weekend before my 50th to Lisbon and one wants to join. I thought maybe nine people or seven or five maybe will say I'm in. Suddenly, in, 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 in. Now we're a group of 19 guys. So I had to organize everything. Um, organized a nice trip, organized, you know, the holiday, some activity like a trail walk outside Lisbon. Fun stuff, you know, chilled. And the plan was we go have a good time, run in the morning, you know, an activity, go karting, you know. Guys, boys, we always remain boys. And, um, so first night in after dinner, so three hours into the trip, we're, I'm walking in one of the piazzas, you know, and I miss a step and I completely tear my ligaments, completely snap it out, completely. They thought I was joking, seeing me on the floor, you know. So I tear my ligament, my ankle ligaments. 
So I've been yeah, three months out of action. Just just by walking down the stairs. By walking and I miss a step. And um, they happen with the most Unexpected. Yeah, unexpected, okay. stupid. In fact, people were telling me what you went running. You did a trade around something. No, I was just walking. <laughs> what was a sign? Maybe I tend to be a bit distracted. So maybe the world, <laughs> the universe giving me a sign there. I have to maybe pay a bit more attention at times. But anyway, but joking apart. But um, yeah, I still did the trip. I couldn't do this nice trail walk outside. I couldn't do, but the rest I did with crutches. And painkillers. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, we managed the trip, then came back and then um, had to wait, did two operations. I have bionic synthetic ligaments and pins, but I'm getting there. But it was tough because um, two things. One is we said sports for me was, um, even because of my work, a release. You know, it's a lifestyle. So I wake up, go to train meet my friends and let it all out. That adrenaline rush, you know, push myself. And suddenly you can't do it. And I was limited, but I still found ways, you know, so I used to go to the gym with crutches, um, train, upper body, and then I had plaster, you know, but the community helps as well. So my friend used to come for me because I couldn't drive with plaster. Um, so this is when communities, um, you know, support each other. They come together. They come you. together and they keep pushing you. So this is the importance of a community as well. Because when you have an injury, so I'm not a superstar athlete, but when you're a pro, you get all the medics, you know, these amazing footballers, you know. They got all, all the physios, all the support, technology, med- everything, you know. They get psychological support. So when we're like common people, like we are, it's harder because we don't have the infrastructure around us to go through that. So psychological, I mean, luckily my wife, my wife is great. She really supported me, you know, and there were moments when I was having a bad day and she's like, chop, chop, snap out of it, grow up. It's temporary, you know? So we need that person in our life to push us because um, we can easily play victim, you know? So it's nice to talk about it now because Okay, now I'm coming out of it, you know? So I'm swimming, I'm still limping, um, but it will get better. But I used to remind myself, it's temporary, it's temporary, it will pass. And sometimes when, when you're going through an issue, whatever issue, relationship, work, injury, sport, family, ask yourself, will it still be a problem in six months' time? Will it still be a problem in 12 months' time? Will it still be a problem in three years' time? Probably not. You know? So it will pass. Yes, it's easier said than done. You know? But um, everything is temporary. We are temporary. And we need to be a bit more, you know, kind of easy about it. What seeing is from we're temporary and our time here is borrowed. Doesn't that push you to do even more rather than just not take it easy? Yeah, completely. It's this is like the the time span I have. I want to do as much as I can and make the best of it. So whatever was before, I can make it better in the in the 
the few years I have here. Agreed, Thomas. Um, when I said take it easy, don't be hard on yourself. Okay. You know, from that side. But then we're all different. We're all creatures. We're like a jungle with different animals. You know, there's the tiger, the lion, the anteater, the elephant, the snake. It's people. Different personalities, different characters. And we're in one jungle. There are animals that want to be alone. There are animals who want to stay together in a group. You know, there are animals who have one partner all their life. There are animals who wander around, you know, it's a jungle out there, you know. Nick, you mentioned an important word, which I wanted to get into, the word motivation, that you don't have motivation to get up. There are people who have blocks of motivation sometimes, which is a short burst of and to do everything now. Um, usually it happens at around 2 a.m. Where Sucking myself, I think. <laughs> I probably, many people think like me. And um, as in many videos tend to surface day one out of X amount of days, we're going to start doing this and this. How can someone shift? We've, met, we've briefed upon it, but how do we shift from motivation to being more dedicated? How do we stop being fueled by the short gain, but the long-term gain is being dedicated to it? And how do we stick to the it? mindset? Like what mindset do we have to be in? How can we get into that? Look, to grow, to succeed, I use the BAG, bag terminology. Okay. So you need to believe and understand where you want to go. And I'll give you another example. But you need to put on the work. You need to put on the action. If you believe only that you're going to succeed or do achieve what you want to do, it's not enough. You need to put in the work. If you put in the work without believing, it doesn't work either. You know, so belief and action together equals growth. Okay. Now, sometimes we don't, we think we're not ready. We think we're not ready because we don't know everything. We don't need the steps. Say, say you, you're employed at the moment. And you want to start your own venture. You want to go freelance. But you know, deep down, you're not ready. You're never ready. Hello, you're never going to be ready. And if you think you're ready, deep down, probably you're not anyway. But you think you're ready. So you don't know all the steps. So focus. Imagine a jump, okay? From here to here. And we want to arrive here. Just focus on where you want to land. This I read in that book as well. Focus on where you want to land. What happens in the jump will happen. But just focus where you want to land. So you're never ready. You never know everything. But during the jump, the skills you need will come out. We have it inside us as humans. And I think you've been in situations where you had a situation, you face a new challenge, a situation not just you, even people listening to us or watching us. But then when it happened, you were surprised at yourself how well you coped. Yes, for sure. Even looking definitely. back. I looking, definitely back definitely. looking back. Definitely. You know, but if I had to tell you you're going to face that situation, you'd say, well, I wouldn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. But then when you were faced with it, you did it. So in a way, you see that pushing outside in, in areas where we don't know the unknown it's good because we realize, we discover skills that we didn't know we have. 
So every role, even every role is going to push us in this unknown. But this is how you get growth. When you go in the unknown, when you go keep on pushing and till you're 83, 85, 90, keep on pushing yourself. Not to make money. Money is nothing. It's to have a lifestyle, maybe. You know, the importance of money is not money per se. It's the lifestyle it gives you. If you want that kind of lifestyle, you know. I was never driven by money. If I Probably if I was driven by making money, I would have made money. I was driven by creating things. So what drives you? So if I had to ask you what drives you in three words, what would you say? No, I'm doing the podcast to you. I'm doing the interview. Tom, if I had to ask you what drives you in three or four words, what drives you? Hmm. Nick is thinking. Three or four words. What drives on a day-to-day basis, I think. In life, in general. I have one, I think. Start, what, start next. What drives time. me is just learning, knowing that I can learn more. There's just so much to learning. Learn. So learning is one of them. Constant sure. learning. Okay. Constant learning. Um, like I'll give you a tip so maybe Thomas can. Like what drives me is making things happen. Okay. It drives me. Be whatever it be. Could it be Nick calling me? Hey, I need John. I need this. I need this. I need a connection. So making things happen drives me. Okay. I think end goals do um, drive me. I don't like I that the, they do. The vision drives you uh-huh. more than anything. But... but Sometimes I, I see myself getting lost and not really appreciating the journey because I'd be so driven by just getting that end goal. But you see, being aware of dri- what drives you now, and you said something sometimes like this, you're analyzing. So that makes you more aware of what you do and what you don't do. Because what you do at what you don't do is all boils down to what drives you. So being aware of what drives you as an individual is important because it shapes the way we do things. I do believe that money drives me a bit to and there's nothing wrong achieve a certain lifestyle because I, I do see myself um, wanting to give my parents maybe an easier life or um, giving them back or or as going to work just because they want to, not because they have to earn a living. I guess. Sure. But um, you see, it's it's not money. No, it's, it's what comes with what it. Comes, what you can achieve, what you can use it for. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's never know? been necessarily money. It's the things that it brings with it exactly. and certain comforts. So identify what drives you. Try and write it in three or four words. Don't, don't give me a phrase of 20 words. Be specific. What drives me? And then you will make sense of what you do and what you don't do. You're an advocate of putting things to paper, putting thoughts to paper. I love it. I love how it. How does that help? Um, how does that help you? First of all, and how do you do it? I've grown <laughs> with paper and pen, unlike you guys, you know, everything you write. Um, look, I, I think there's some kind of special energy and a mental focus and energy when, when you're connecting your head through your hand, through an instrument and writing. And you're, you're putting your thoughts on paper, literally. Because when you... I remember, Nick, I do it sometimes with, with teams as well. So we're brainstorming. And it's not just talking. Right? I say, get large pieces of paper. Put your thoughts on paper. Write everything. Scribble. Write it down. 
And when you see it there, it takes a new dimension. So I know it's great. I, I use my smartphone, obviously, and I take note on it and I, I can't survive without it because it's my calendar. My to do it reminds me, you know, my, my schedule every day. But when I need to plan the day, the week, um, I find myself, you know, or thinking of something, drawing, scribbling, you know, and planning the trajectory, the ideas, the thoughts. It's so powerful. In fact, there's a saying, they say, don't just think it, think it, you know, but it's so important. So try it. And I find the younger generation don't, don't do that. It's everything on, on, yeah, which is nothing wrong. Either. I think one, one of the best times um, where I got good advice from you about this thing in particular was when you gave me a time block, is it called? I don't know if it's called a time block where you have oh, yeah. a paper. And if you want to explain, because you will explain better than me, we have a paper and how you... How yeah, you I mean, I, I believe in, in planning your day and um, spending five minutes, five, ten minutes in the morning before you start, plan your day, sit down. So I re realized over the years that I'm always writing my, planning my day in the same format. So then I... I looked around that there wasn't notepads or something pre-printed that grid. So I, I created my own notepads with um, to do priority one, two, three. So I'm filling the blanks and every morning I fill in the blanks, three priorities that have to be done that day. Then another list of to do, then calls, messages, another block, and it's on an A4 and it's all me. And then I, I fill in the blanks, I scribble, I scribble a lot. <laughs> and um, then I, when the paper gets messy and the lesson, I like striking things off, you know? And... Um, it gives a sense of accomplishment. Completely. See. But then halfway through the day, I, the list is so messy that I write it afresh. Then you get more things because you know how it is. Sometimes you do one thing, another three crop up. And I keep on this kind of ritual, you know? And another thing I'd like to discuss is emails, inbox. I don't know. You use email or WhatsApp? There's yes. so much emails, I think. Huh? Emails, I, I mean. I think the problem nowadays is having, is using everything. Yeah. So you get people messaging you from WhatsApp, people messaging you from Instagram, you people messaging you. Yeah, you have Facebook. to remember, where did that guy, someone messaged me, where did they message exactly. me? Exactly, and that's such, that's such a big, uh, such a big problem. It takes such, such a huge toll on me when I'm trying to find. Many distractions. There's many distractions as well. I know. Yeah. So with emails, I find um, if someone from the office is going to listen to this podcast, they're going to laugh because I'm a bit of a dictator there. I go wrong around. Show me your inbox. <laughs> so it has to be at zero. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. So um, everything like, is in the column. No, no, no. I, I need one folder. Work, two folders. Work, personal. My inbox has 1,453. Wrong, fired, Nick, you're fired. <laughs> On so the spot. Continue, continue. Mine um, has... It was the me, probably. Let's see. It's 99 plus, so I mean... Okay, not bad. Better than Nick. But <laughs> but the plus can be much more than Nick. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so your inbox, for me, is my to-do, okay? So I only have two folders, personal and work. And when I get an email... I read it. If I can reply straight away, I do it straight away. 
what's the average expected rate of reply in emails nowadays you think a day um, a day probably two hours two hours okay. when someone sends you an email the expectation of a good turnaround is two hours you know okay well. so if you read an email i'm not saying do it but sometimes i say received noted done i'll get okay, back yeah. to you acknowledging it acknowledge yeah. okay this thing that someone sends an email and no one acknowledges for two three days four days is insane you know the world has changed so i'm very i'm very particular about managing my emails both from a personal and work point of view then i have two folders so if i get an email i don't need to do anything it's moved if i need to reply or forward it something quick i do it there and then it takes me three seconds to read an email another three seconds to reply done get it out of the way if it's something i need to work on i acknowledge but then stays in my inbox to do got it okay so i try the ideal friday would be that i leave the office with few emails you know in my inbox maybe 10 20 30 it's been a while since i managed to get a zero because they keep on coming in but managing your inbox effectively is key you can't have an inbox with a thousand fifteen thousand emails flag not flagged unread read it's chaotic you need it's imagine a desk with a lot of papers some you saw some you didn't some you read but you ticked in red because you still have to do something others you didn't others you want to delete you don't care but you leave them there anyway it's messy it's messy so and as you said there's whatsapp social media twitter instagram i don't know then you get all these um, programs and platforms as well you know so um organizing the way you work and then you have a system so anyone who calls me for anything say send me an email that's how i work that's my way now for you it could be whatsapp or whoever fine but you need to guide people how you want to work as well you know, or else it gets all over the place. That's that's what I did as well. So um, I started freelancing when I was like 16, 17. And one mistake that I used to do, my email signature is my phone number. So I used to put my phone number, my email signature, because I was so excited to be a freelancer. Oh. And in the beginning it was fine. But then as I got more and more and more work, and I got more people messaging me or calling me or, or emailing me, it's came to a point where it was really stressful for like an 18 year old to handle people calling me randomly for the stupidest things or maybe for things that I'm actually not earning anything out of so they don't deserve my time yeah but it became so chaotic and took such a big toll on me mentally that I'm like I can't do this anymore I can't continue freelancing is too much and then what I realized is listen like what you're saying like why don't I direct people where I want them channel what works for you so then up until today, I don't share my phone number anywhere. So like, I don't have my phone number, my email signatures or anything. So please no one leak my phone number. But um, I just found this to be like the, the perfect yeah. way for me to actually control my communication. Yeah. Another thing I find is everyone wants to meet. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Meetings. And even with know. Zoom now and virtual, everyone wants a meeting, even online. Okay, online it's easier because you save the meeting, the traveling, whatever. But everyone wants a meeting. So I had learned this many years ago that um, it really works. I'm all ears. I need this. So when, when you get a request for a meeting, don't accept it. But say, 
tell me what, email me what you want to discuss in the meeting. And then I'll organize the meeting. People will resist it. You say, no, I want to tell you in person or over Zoom or verbally. I say, listen, sorry, it's the way I work. I'll meet you, guaranteed. But I'd rather meet you and have an answer ready for you what you need rather than we have to meet again. So what happens? Try it. So you tell people this. Now, uh, if people start using this, okay, it's great. And um, you realize that 50% of the people will not even bother to email you what they want to discuss. So how important was that meeting? Mm. From that 50% that email you what they want to discuss, you realize that another 50 of that 50, so 25%, is not for you. You can delegate or connect them to someone else in the company or whatever, but or you're not interested or you can't really help. You know? The other 25 are worth meeting, and when you meet, you're going to be ready to discuss what you want to discuss. And it works. You know, it's, it's amazing. Just because we're humans. We, we like meeting each other. So people want to meet, you know. And it's nice to meet. So I'm, I'm not saying, and there'll be some resistance to this because some people don't feel comfortable putting it in an email. And I say, don't give me the details, but tell me what you want to discuss. So I'm ready. I'm ready to give you, when we meet, I'm ready to give you the solution you want. So, and be strict with it. And you'd realize how you cut your meetings by 60-70%. How then do you control? So, you cut down a lot of unnecessary meetings. But then, how do you make sure that during a meeting, you actually get the action that you need to get and it's not an unproductive meeting? How do you control that? Because you get into meetings with like five, six, seven people at a time. Where at have, group meetings, you're saying group meetings, so it can be whatever. No, group meetings are important to one have an agenda, mm-hmm. and if anything is not of interest to all the people in the room, should not be discussed in the meeting. Oh. If you have, if you start having a meeting with six people, seven people, I do it at work. Every Wednesday we have the heads meeting, and I I do the intro, fifteen minutes. And then each person has to give an update, what's happening ahead, what's happening, etc. It's good to give a good overview. But then if someone engages and they deep dive into an issue which I'm not interested, the other person, hey, you stop it, say, take it out of the meeting, have another meeting, just you two. So when you're a big group of people, you need to ensure that what's discussed is of interest or at a level that people need to know that room. Once it gets specific, it's not in, it shouldn't be discussed in that room. So you need to be a bit kind of, you know, um, tough to run that kind of agenda and meeting, you know. But the other tip I gave you to ask people to email you before you meet, and now it's easy to meet virtually, you know, it's amazing. What COVID did to us, it, it acted as a catalyst for some good things. It, it you know, it made them happen quicker. Remote working, virtual meetings, these things existed, the technology existed. People were just not accustomed to wanting to do that because they didn't feel because, it was efficient. But then they were forced to do it mm-hmm. and they saw it works, you know? Definitely. Something, something mentioned in your book as well, something, if I remember correctly, change is easy when it's forced upon. Of course, imagine, imagine you want to set up your freelance business and you're working. You're going to be 
afraid to leave. But then if something happens and you have no job, you lose your job, then you do it. You see? So yeah. you have less to lose and like you can go 100% on one plan. Yeah, but why wait? I, mm. That's true. Why because, not jump? Because I think the, do the, the jump. you're still comfortable where you're at. So you're not completely convinced that this is this has more risk, maybe more reward, but the risk tends to outweigh the reward at the time of life. Exactly. For example, it would be harder for someone with a family and kids and loans and to do to take that jump that Completely. I'm going to give up a year. I'm, go- I'm going to live with the savings I have and sustain the family to right, someone com- who's just starting out on life in their mid twenties who can Completely. afford to take that risk. I think no. Agreed, because there's the monkey in your head as well, and mm. you know. So, but then. Then I'd go in solution focus mode. Okay, what can you do to mitigate that risk? What are your options? How can you structure it? You see? Mm-hmm. So there's still a way. So, okay, you're afraid of this. This is the risk. What can we do to mitigate that risk? What could be a good in between? What could be a good balance to start off and test the waters without risking everything? You know? But sometimes when you want to deliver beyond what you know you can achieve, you need to do the jump and just focus where you want to land. Because you're not going to know what you need in, in midair, you see? So, because success sometimes doesn't happen a gradual step at a time. Sometimes you need that quantum leap, you know? And to do that leap, you need to jump in the dark. Was there a moment where you just wanted to say, that's it, I'm not trusting the process right now, it's it's too, it's overwhelming? Because yeah. nowadays you, you're more informed and you're more educated on how your mind works, but maybe at the time you were 20, 30, you weren't as... Um, of course, uh, I was, I wish, there's something I wish I knew when I was younger was this, you know? to trust the process, everything will be okay. But not trust from a hope point of view, like I'm not too keen on the word hope. Hope means of positive thinking. Positive thinking is trusting positive, it will happen. Or hope, let's hope it rains. (laughs) You know, it doesn't work like that. You need to be effective. So what can I do to increase the chances of success. But then, once you do it, you need to trust the process. You did what needs to be done, got it? It might not work, but you did what needed to be done. You gave it your max, got it? So then trust the process. So you need to trust the process, but you need to do the work. Okay. And some things happen, some things don't. You can't just sit there and trust the process you do nothing and say, I trust the process. You know, it doesn't work like that. Or positive thinking. Or hope. You know, you need to be effective. So you have to be realistic. Realistic. And not... Effective. Op- not optim- not, 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 not optimistic, but... Effective. Where, exactly. Effective. Perfect. And sometimes, and I think maybe we can close with this. Yes, I think. We're good on time. Sometimes you need to think... Think of the worst case scenario. 
okay, what is the worst case scenario? Being prudent. What is the worst case scenario? Then you realize it's not so bad after all. What is the worst case scenario? And then you, you know what, actually, if I lose my job, or if this thing that I want to do on my own freelance doesn't work, which I go back and find something else. You know? 80-20. Does that safety of me me going back stop me from going all in then or no? No, because I think you're still moving forward. Mm. Whatever you okay. do, you're moving forward. The worst thing is if you have regrets that you should have done this or that. You know, that's what eats us inside. You know, regrets. Do you, do you have any regrets from your experience of work, personal life, sports? I mean, yeah, probably sports. I wish I had the mental strength I have now in sports, the commitment when I was young. Because when I was young, I didn't um, give it so much attention like I do now, you know. And obviously, there's a limit now. You grow. Um, I can still beat you at running. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Not running. Now, actually, you can beat me now okay. at running. Perfect. That's now you can. Now is your time, <laughs> Nick. Now is your time. Um, so not regrets as such, but I think I wish I had the guidance. Because we didn't have the internet. I know you, you take it for granted. Now I'm so, sounding like an old man. But you just go and find resources, which honestly, it's, it, it, we didn't have. Now everything is at our fingertips. The chatbot AI is amazing. I use it. Um, the internet out there, the internet of things is amazing. The resources, the science, the technology, the information, it's all at our fingertips. It's, it's, I mean, we had to take a photo and wait a week. Now I'm, I'm not a hundred years old. I'm 50. <laughs> so I'm not talking many years ago, but honestly, we used to get a camera, put in a film, with 36 photos or 24 and spend five minutes trying to get the best photo. Older people my age will laugh probably at this, you know, to write, to take the right photo because you're using one of 34 in a film. Then you take the film, you wait a week or five days or whatever to get it processed. To develop it. To develop. Then you get the photos. You realize half of them are crap, <laughs> you know? Or else you didn't put the film in right. Mm. I mean, now you just go bah, 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 and you snap. Everything is on your phone. So we, but there's this sign, the time of instant gratification. Now we know everything now because we can have everything now. So sometimes I, even I, sometimes I try to be patient, but I'm not. <laughs> That's a recurring theme in our podcast. Ah, yes? Instant gratification. Okay. How do you think nowadays? That's um, been affecting been affecting people trying course, to achieve yeah. what they want to achieve. Completely, because we want everything now and we're not patient. But not only young people, even older, because we get sucked in all this. But even I told you email, people expect a reply within two hours. In the past, they used to write a letter. It takes weeks. Or send a fax or a telex. I don't know. Okay, I'm old, but not that old. But, but anyway, but um, I remember when email was invented, started. I was like, wow, I got a message from Washington within two hours. Wow. You know? Um, so w our age, what we went through, is a lot of change as well. And the generation before us even more. You know? But 
now this generation is has been you get a child on an iPad. I'm I'm impressed when I see a child navigating a phone, an iPad, and the skills they have. A three year old, I'm baffled, you know, how wow. It's amazing. One of my favorite creators, Alex Hormozzi, he said, if you had to build a perfect human, um, uh, so you'd want him to be patient, but you can't give him patience if you don't give him the late tasks. If you want him to be um, uh, strong, you're not going to give him an, an easy life. Yeah. So what's the price we're willing to pay for us to actually get those values and those traits as human beings. And I don't think many people are willing to to pay some some things and give some things up to learn those things. Yeah, because we, we want to take the shortcut. That you mentioned in the beginning. That we mentioned in the beginning. Everything is, is linked. Which is linked. And it's a double-edged sword because we get efficiency through shortcuts. But which shortcut and when? But anyway, I think we can... I realize, as I said, we closed on this about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so, um, I look, at, I look at Thomas on purpose sometimes because I'm just like, what can you come up with to do the closing? <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us. It's been an amazing episode. Thanks for joining Cheers. us. Um, uh, for I mean, I one think of the most informative, I yeah, think. For sure. And it feels like there's just so many topics we could have went into. Yeah. Like we can have another part for sure, like another time. I do go only into sports or only into business or only into coaching aspect or, or the mental coaching aspect. So it can be it. on our buy me a coffee. We go for a training session. Oh, that would be a cool one. Whenever, guys, we'll join you. That'd be very cool. whenever. So if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe, like, comment. What can they comment? Comment any any word of your life. What motivates them? Maybe what what whatever. Um, sometimes it's nice to see how people. Um, what hacks, what tips they use to, to, because we learn from others. That's a good one. So what I said is my point of view. It's not the right point of view. Yeah, of course. So maybe people would like to share, you know what, this is how I work. Yeah, this is yeah, what yeah, works yeah. for me. This is yeah, what yeah. I do because it's nice to, it's nice to share these tips. And this is how we can grow as a community, as society, as humans. We pick from each other. Definitely. We want the community to be informed. We want to be, I have a few words. It has to be relate, relatable, informative, motivational, and inspirational. So why not? If it's maybe five minutes, they can get out of this and see it between car rides, for example. Yeah, and there's so much negativity. People write comments, negativity online. Just yeah. be. Let's be. <laughs> let's be productive. Let's add value, not not decrease value. John, do you have a favorite quote or something that you live by? Um. Okay, you caught me unaware now. I don't think so. No. Probably, okay, what? It's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Oh, I like that. That's really good. Applause on that. (laughs) All right, guys. So thanks a lot for watching. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Jonathan Shaw. Um, Comment maybe what your favorite tip is for other people to look at. And we hope to see you in the next podcast.